hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. Я вообще не называю меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? От русские земля, единый быть. And welcome to the Rooster Files Unite podcast. My name's Ali. And on this podcast, what we do is we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest. And today, my guest is Ina. Hi, Ina. Hi. Thanks for, for joining us. Um, see, this is, uh, this is very exciting because up until now, uh, we haven't had a guest who's really got a very strong connection with Russia because I lived there for five years. Carrie, my wife, who's been on a couple of episodes uh, before, was there for five years. But yeah, you've sort of beaten us by quite a few years. How long is it that you've been um, been living in Moscow? Well, um, before I say that, thanks for having me here. Um, I've been here for nearly four, no, wait, yes, four years this time. And before that, I did six years uh, when I was studying here in university. All right. So that's that's a decade. So that's as much as Carrie and I put together. I've done this sort of in the wrong order. But uh, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself besides the fact that you've spent like about a total of, of 10 years in Moscow? Um, I'm originally from Turkmenistan. I'm living here. Well, that's the reason I ended up in Russia, because, you know, former Soviet Union kind of sticks together. And yeah. <laughs> I work here as a designer for children's clothing right now, and that's, on my spare time, I do a lot of illustrations, keep up my Instagram, try to blog a little bit, and that's about it. All right, cool. Um, so Turkmenistan, probably for a lot of listeners, isn't really on the, on a lot of people's radar. Could you <laughs> tell us a little bit more about about that and sort of, I mean, you mentioned the like former Soviet connection, but um, yeah, what should people know about Turkmenistan? Oh, uh, well, it's a tiny, tiny country. Well, it's not really tiny. It's like a population of maybe 4 million. So a quarter the size of Moscow. Um, gotcha. It's in Central Asia. Most people know where Afghanistan is. So just north of that is a little small closed off country. Not a lot of information about it is available because... They choose not to put it out there, but yeah. it's a nice, a nice enough place to visit if you can get in. It's got a lot of interesting things like that. Um, the most famous probably landmark is the Gates of Hell, which is the big burning crater just outside of the capital. Yes, that's a good name for a burning crater. <laughs> well, it's it's actually called um, I think it's Dar Darwaza, something like that. That's the that's the actual name, but. Everyone just calls it Gates of Hell because that's that's kind of what it looks like. 
the, the whole uh, crater was created in the 70s. I forget what they were doing there, but geologists were looking for something and then they found there, they dug this crater and they realized that there was natural gas escaping. So, you know, what do you do with natural gas? You don't, you don't, you know, put a pipe and sell it to people. You burn it, right? Right, right. So they start, they lit it, uh, hoping that the fire would go out in, in a little bit. And it's been burning for half a century. Hence, hence gates of hell. So, uh, yes. So, so Buffy the Ram- Vampire Slayer was wrong. It's not in Sunnydale. It's, it's actually in Turkmenistan. <laughs> yeah, she was a little off. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's 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 fine. It's only you know several thousand miles. Um, <laughs> any anyway, so um, the the film we're watching we're watching today. I wanted to have you on for this episode because it's there's kind of an element of professional interest, I guess you'd you'd say. I mean, it's um, the film's Nicholas and Alexandra. Um, it's from 1971 and was directed by Franklin J. Schaffer, Schaffner or Schaffner, something like that. Um, but uh, it was nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars. It won a couple, and both of those were artistic awards. So it had best costume design and it had best art direction. So, um, yeah, in a lot of regards, it's sort of a not very well-known film, but I thought it would be interesting to have somebody who would have a bit more of a perspective on that side of things than uh, than somebody else. And also, you know, as, as you're someone who spent an awful lot of time in Moscow and with Russians, I thought it'd be interesting because it's a Western production for you to kind of give a more like what you think Russians would think of this like version of their history. That's kind of my rationale as well as just just catching up with an old friend. So I hope that's all right. Well, you know, this movie is a it's kind of several things because one, the costume design, I might mention that I have a small, tiny experience of costume design for a movie from the time I worked in Turkmenistan. It was for some historical movie uh, based on Turkmen history. And I I went through a period of the Romanovs, and as I read online, this was a a movie based on Robert K. Massey's book, and I think I've read it. I've read several of his uh, historical biographies, and I think I've I've gone through that one. Can't remember, though. Mm. Okay, yeah, so... I'd seen that it was that it was based on uh, that it was based on a book, but I didn't like really delve much deeper than that. So I didn't know like whether it was a whether it's popular history, whether it's kind of more academic. But uh, but yeah, tell me a bit more about the 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 movie that you did the costume design for. What was what was that? Um, as far as I remember, there was I just got the assignment. I wasn't really told. I wasn't contacted by the movie studios. The movie studios contacted my boss, who told me that I needed to do historical costumes um, for a movie. I needed to do uh, a general guy. Um, okay. The male lead was a young soldier type. Uh, okay, the female, sort of like, dashing mm-hmm. young officer type of thing. Yes, yes. You know, dashing young officer, beautiful princess type girl who was the daughter, I think, of the general guy. So he was supposed to be, you know, kind of intimidating. And okay. a couple of um, outfits for like background soldiers, and I think okay. a handmaid as well. Okay. So this is going back a few years. Yeah, this was back in 2013, I think. 
Okay, yeah, I was going to say, if you ask me about anything I was doing at my job in, the, you know, 2013, I'm not, yeah, it's going to be a bit fuzzy. But um, yeah, okay. And so what, like, what, what kind of, um, what, what era was that? I mean, it's, you're making it sound like it would be like, I don't know, Napoleonic or 19th century or something like that. Is that? totally off i don't i don't think it was totally off because um i think it was maybe like 18th 19th century Uh, okay Uh because since turkmenistan is um actually the turkmen people are nomadic by nature and by history uh there aren't a lot of there isn't a lot of recorded history until about the 19th century when the russians came in and actually started recording things Um, so before that Probably sometime before the Russians came, which was like 1880s, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah, because they sort of were just... I mean, I was going to say, oh, the Russians were just expanding in all directions at that point, but I'm British, so I'm not really in a position position to go, oh, yes, those Russians, so so imperialistic in the 19th century. Coming into other countries saying, I'm going to sit here now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I guess with the Russians, you could say at least it was countries they were next to we were sort of like turning up in India. <laughs> i like india i'm gonna go there yeah yeah um oh, I, I don't think i'm gonna go any further down that path <laughs> i think we were all just looking yeah. for warmer climates I yeah mean, it's pretty it's yeah. pretty bleak and cold in russia mm. so they just wanted some sunshine we can say that yeah um all right so we kind of circle back around to the movie we're, <laughs> we're going to be watching today after that sort of you know, uh, slight tangent, but tangent's always always good. Um, see, when I think about this film, I am tempted to make, I guess, probably quite shallow comparisons with another film. Um, and it's quite shallow, partly because I haven't seen this other film, and this other film would be Titanic. And the reason for that, the reason for making the, the comparison... It's partly the time period that it's showing. So, you know, it's hmm. it's early 20th century. As I mean, Titanic's obviously like two two years uh, pre-World War One, And, you know, this I'm imagining is going to be covering, you know, pretty much the, those first two decades. The fact that it's both of these films are three hours. So I should warn listeners going in, if you're planning on watching the movie with us, it's a time commitment. Um, I'm already slightly thinking, huh, was this such a good idea? (laughs) But, um, and the fact that going in, you probably know how it's going to end. And that ending is less than happy. So yeah, I have, as I say, I haven't seen Titanic, but um, I don't know. Have you, have you seen it, Ina? The James Cameron one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, several times. Yeah, I I figured that would probably be a fairly safe bet for some for some reason, but yeah. So uh, we'll maybe um, sort of bring it up. But as I say, like shallow comparison, but that's sort of what it makes makes me think of because it's kind of a weird experience because so you know so many things are like oh you know don't tell me spoilers. I don't want to. I don't want to know how it's <laughs> going in. But... You kind of already know the boat sank. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, Nicholas and Alexandra, they have a very tragic end. And it's kind of like, how are they going to handle that? Are they going to handle that sensitively? I'm kind of interested to see how how they they do that. Well, that's what that's what I'd like to see with this movie, how they managed it, because this is 1970s. This is a still a pretty big Cold War moment. And 
you know, the Soviet Union didn't release all this stuff for quite some time. Sure. Um, but I'd like to see how they how they managed it. And well, considering that the book was, as far as I remember, he um, the author his biographies are pretty good. Mm. Uh, he doesn't really take a lot of detours around history. But I'd like to, I'd like to see how they handle it. Yeah. The other thing I'm interested in seeing how they handle is is it's kind of like why there was a revolution or you know a couple of revolutions because um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously obviously last year was the centenary of of the Russian Revolution but of course it's Russian revolutions because there's <laughs> one in which in which you know the uh, the Romanovs are deposed and then there's the October one where the communists take over. Mm-hmm. And I and I wonder whether the film is just kind of going to like blend those two together and it just to kind of... I guess I'm worried that it'll just be a simplistic... You know, the Romanovs were lovely and great and um, they were got rid of because the communists were horrible and, you know, evil and bad. You know, so I'm... I, it, I'm, prob- I'm guessing it's probably not going to be that bad but i am a little bit concerned that it will they all sort of like lack nuance and it will well it's very difficult to cover that time period without skipping over like 90 percent of the events because it was very um saturated with just everything there was world war one there was several revolutions there was um i mean you you want to cover the rasputin story you want to cover the uh, hemophiliac prince you want to uh, cover the the treatment of the royal family and then you want to cover the the relationship between the like in the royal family yeah. because from what i've read i've read a couple of biographies on them because i went through a romanov period where I, I read everything i could but this was like 10 years ago so i've retained very little information <laughs> But as far as I remember, they were they were just a family, and uh, I think it was uh, Nikolai II, like the, the the Tsar himself. I think his father was more um, of a minimalist type person, so he didn't really grow up with the lavish lifestyle that we expect, like I don't know Louis the Fourteenth style. Um, yeah. And that's the way that they tried to raise their family. And in recent years, actually, here in Moscow, not even recent years, in recent months, I've noticed uh, there's billboards around the city with little excerpts from letters from Alexandra to Nicholas and vice versa. And it's, there's no, there's no, uh, it's not like advertising or anything, but it's just showing love that the it's it's a little bit of a kind of trying to redeem the royal family i guess um in the eyes of people that they weren't they weren't like evil they weren't sort of vicious vicious dictators or anything like that yeah or... yeah they weren't like that they were trying they're they've been trying to show that they were just a, a normal family and I, I i'm also really interested in seeing that because at that time in the 70s it was still you know, seen as, oh, the bad, bad royals, and look at them spending lavishly. I mean, I'm sure they spent, (laughs) because the centennial was, what what is it called, the tricentennial of the Romanov house? Yeah, 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 that was, oh, when was that? That was, that was like just before World War II. I think it was 1913. Mm. I want to say 1913, and they threw this big ball with, um, you, you actually see a lot of the photos from around that from that ball around, if you look for Romanov information, um, everyone wore traditional Russian outfits. Of course, 
yeah. embellished with, with stones and diamonds and all of that. Yeah, like from my, you know, slightly uh, hazy grasp on, on Russian history is I get uh, is that Peter the Great sort of like tried to Europeanize everything. But as the once you get into the 19th century and into the early 20th century, there was more of a kind of like nationalism. Let's kind of make a, a thing of bringing back our older traditions and showing that, you know, Russia's kind of different as well. Well, if if I might, um, what happened with Peter was he spent some years, I think it was in Holland, and he was studying boat building and he was just living there. Uh, and he came back and he decided that let's make Russia from this backwards country where everything is tradition, 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 and let's make it more European because it's a it's a big country and we want to be part of the Europe of Europe. And so he started banning everything that was traditional, like no beards, um, no traditional clothing, Russian clothing. Um, so uh, until about, yeah, until the revolution, everything was like that in in the court. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. outside of St. Petersburg and um, to a lesser extent Moscow, uh, everything was still, you know, pretty much peasants and traditional clothing traditions and uh so yeah um the the whole you know european thing in the movie i and it, there was just a huge like coming back to that time period there was a huge difference between uh the royals the aristocrats and even st petersburg and moscow because moscow was considered oh, yeah. a, a village of like <laughs> uh just merchants which it really was and it still is to this day i mean st petersburg still thinks they're better than us <laughs> <laughs> they call themselves the cultural capital, but all the money is in Moscow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it's remained. And yeah, uh, it wasn't really so much bringing back the traditions uh, during the Soviet times as much as it was let's bring life back to the real population of let's bring the focus back to the real population of the country, which is the regular people. Because aristocrats, I mean, they're like what two percent, one percent of the population. Uh, so it was really um, just a practical coming back to traditions and simpler things. Yeah, not I really a. I, was, mm-hmm. I guess what I was talking about is is more like before that, before the revolution happened, there was kind of like the whole Slavophile movement and people like Dostoevsky saying, "Yeah, we need to be more Russian and less European." And you know, I'm, I'm obviously butchering the history there, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like I've, from what I've heard, anyway, there was there was there was a kind of a bit of a more of a let's try and differentiate ourselves more than we had done, like further back, um, you know, with people like Peter and Catherine. Well, I think that's always been a part of the Russian mind that uh, to this day people are very proud of being Russian, and even when they were trying to be European in the centuries between Peter and Nicholas, there was still a very big sense of, you know, I'm Russian, like, I am, I'm Russian, with a capital R, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and don't just kind of bracket us in with everyone else. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. we're not, we're not everyone else, we're Russians, we, we did this, we did that, and Catherine the Great herself, who was German, actually, sure, uh, yeah, yeah. In the end, she was very patriotic, and she was she was talking about Russia. Um, I I remember there was a quote I read from one of her biographies. It said, uh, "Russia goes into something something about Russia going into wars," and in the end, it said, "But in the end, it always comes out greater than it was before." 
So she, even she got into the spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of a scary attitude to have. <laughs> it's like, let's get into wars because it always ends well for us. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess, sort of bringing things again back round to to the to the movie. Um, I don't know how much World War One we're going to get, but that's definitely uh, one which would be an exception to to that. Uh, you know, not necessarily that rule, but that idea, because mm-hmm. um, that's obviously has a has a huge role. Um, cool. So there's there's one thing I feel like I should mention before we kind of wrap this introduction bit up, and that's the fact that um, that Nicholas and Alexandra. I don't know about um, about their their kids, but they're now Orthodox saints. I think I'm right in saying. Yeah. So so that's kind of a a sort of a a slightly odd aspect to be talking about people who are now who are now considered as saints by the Orthodox Church. So I guess we kind of have to be reasonably polite because I know there's a there's a law now in Russia about insulting the feelings of uh, of religious believers. I think is how it tends to get translated the into English. The saints are watching. Yeah um yeah so um so yes obviously that's that's something i guess you know kind of have to consider when talking about them is that yeah there are some people who who consider them to be um yeah to be saints well i personally have nothing against the royal family i think they were very very mistreated and i was always i will say this you know i'm not ashamed of it i was always on the side of the royal family and watching and reading rather um biographies of uh, there was one I can't remember it was a yellow book I can remember that um you can tell I'm an artist because I only remember the color of the book (laughs) uh there was a book on the Romanovs I read back in high school and I will admit that to the end I hoped that they would escape to Europe oh sure yeah I mean I think what what happened to them was was absolutely terrible I kind of understand that that's sort of how these things tend to play out like if you have if you're trying to set up a a new regime and a new power structure, if you have the people who used to be the heads of state around, then that's that's always like going to be a focus for for rebellion. So I guess, yeah, and especially since that royal house, the Romanovs were tied to the German house and to uh, the British. The British. Yeah, yeah um, Nicholas II and who was it, King George? They looked an yeah, it would awful lot alike. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you could, you could just, you could almost like, sort of like, uh, like Photoshop the heads around, and yeah. people probably wouldn't notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In fact, that was actually um, when you were talking about them keeping a more sort of frugal uh, household, like in comparison to you know previous previous czars. I wonder how much that was inspired by uh, by Grandma Victoria, who you know Queen Victoria was. Um, I was at least hearing a podcast on on her and she was much more like wanted to her family to be a bit more sort of bourgeois rather than grand royal sort of pageantry, mm-hmm. you know, and just trying to keep things a bit a bit more modest. So I wondered whether that was kind of like grandma's influence uh, sort of coming in, because I, I know that they that the, you know, when Nicholas was growing up, that he would see his cousins on not a super regular basis but more than you might think considering travel wasn't wasn't as easy as it is now yes i'm coming for a visit in two weeks (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm I'm setting out today expect me in two weeks yeah yeah you know depending on prevailing winds and all that (laughs) yeah yeah 
Yes, so, um, okay then. So, I think we've talked in quite a lot of detail about the Romanovs and that sort of period in history, and, you know, so I think we should launch into the film. And what we say every time is Payekhali, which is probably a bit too, uh, I guess, Soviet-associated for the subjects of our film, but never mind. I know. For listeners who are joining us for the first time, why is Payekhali like a significant Russian word? I really don't know. I hear that Yuri Gagarin said it when he was about to be launched into space, I think. That's exactly it. That's what I was hoping <laughs> you'd say, so I'm putting you on the spot like that. So I guess I guess I knew it. Yeah. Well, and it's always just something that people, you just say if you're going somewhere in a car or, you know, by transport. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what we, what we say. All right. So we're launching into the film. Uh, three, two, one. Bye. Hi, and welcome back. Uh, we've just watched Nicholas and Alexandra. And before we discuss what we thought, Ina is just going to give us a summary of the film. I realise this is going to be uh, quite a challenge, Ina, because we're talking about summarising a three-hour film, but uh, just give it your best shot. All right, so the movie starts with the birth of Alexis, the Tsarevich, and we see how... Uh, Alexandra and Nicholas relate. We see that there is love between them. Um, right after his birth, we see Alexandra telling Nicholas that he has to be more firm with the people and he has to be more firm with his advisors and with his generals because they're all technically his people. Like, they're all beneath him and they're supposed to listen to him. But he also says, you know, but what if they're right? And we kind of see that he's he's weak-willed, which is which has always been the general opinion of him, uh, that he was maybe a good uh, husband, maybe a good father, but he wasn't a very good uh, politician. Yeah, she basically says, look, you're the Tsar, you're the boss. Yes, act, yes. Act like it. Yes, and he's yeah. like, well, you know, I can't. <laughs> yeah. uh, switch to meeting Lenin at the Communist Party conference in, I think it was in, in like Switzerland probably at the time, because as far as I know, Lenin was in, in Europe and in, Swiss, in Switzerland uh, at that time period. Yeah. And it's Lenin. Really not, it's really not clear though where they are. It's just they're in a room and there's lots yeah, of. Yeah, they're in a room and there's communists. It's just that historically he was there. So I assume he, yeah. it's, it's somewhere. Um, yeah. And he meets uh, Stalin. We see Trotsky is there. They all speak to each other. So we're already aware that these people met and yeah. that they know each other. Um, a little further on, we see that uh, Alexandra and Nicholas, they go to a party. We meet uh, Nicholas's mother, Maria Fyodorovna, the widow of the previous Tsar. 
Um, there's a ball, and that is when Alexandra meets Rasputin, who is a what's called a staritz, uh, which is a sort of um like a holy person from Siberia. Yes. And you know she doesn't like him at first, and then they start talking, and she seems to she seems to be, uh, I don't know how to say it, but charmed probably by him. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's I think that that was his whole entire skill. Yeah. Um. What else? We start seeing we start seeing a lot of unrest. This is all just the first half of the movie. Yeah. So there's a lot more coming. We start seeing yeah. a lot of unrest. We see uh, the events of Bloody Sunday unfold when a lot of peaceful protesters. Not even po- protesters. People came to the palace to um, publicly read a message to the czar. And the soldiers panicked and started shooting and a lot of people died. Yeah. Uh, the czar, as we found out later, is not even aware of this. Um, yeah, certainly not as it's happening. It's kind, of, it's kind of news to him when he finds out. Yeah, um, yeah. I should also interject, by this point, we've also discovered that there is a serious problem with the Tsarevich, with the heir to the throne, who's born at the beginning. Oh, I thought this was the scene afterwards. I get my scenes a little mixed up. Um, yeah, no But worries, yes, no we find out we find out in this one scene that uh, the Tsarevich has hemophilia, which he inherited from his mother, since it's a thing passed out through the female line. Um, so that's a huge problem, and they actually don't tell anybody outside of their closest advisors. And uh, naturally, you can't you can't have the only heir to the throne being deathly ill, so they keep it a secret. Yeah. But I kind of I, I found it I found it. Um, okay, I'll t- I'll say that later. But <laughs> sure. Um, what else? After the bloody Sunday, we have the war begins. And it's a very interesting way they showed it, the, the, the murder of Franz Ferdinand through a dream that Alexis had. Um, it's just there yeah. was a lot of scenes which, which showed them as a family they w- the way they were. Like there was a scene in Levadia where they were just resting and there was a little bit of political talk. So I don't mention scenes like that. It's just the big events. Um, there yeah, was... Yeah, they've got a whole lot of ground to cover in in part one. It's kind of like they cover, I guess, it's it's slightly more than 10 years, really. Well, um, it goes from 19, uh, 1905, I assume, because yeah. that was the year of the Russo-Japanese War, which is the main subject when the movie begins. Yeah. And it goes until, uh, what, like 1914? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's about 10 years. Yeah. I'm trying to summarize 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the film has a hard job and you have a hard job <laughs> summarizing what's in that, in that part. Yeah, sure. Uh, there was, yeah. yes, there was a lot. So um, I'm skipping over a lot of things, but we do see the development of how Rasputin came to be a trusted uh, quote unquote friend. Um, Alexandra loved to call him our friend. And this is actually a historically accurate bit um, mm, yeah, because yeah. he was the only one who could help uh, the Tsarevich. We saw this one scene where um, he got hurt and he was bleeding and bleeding internally, and everybody was worried. The doctors were saying, were, were already saying that there's no hope. Um, Nicholas's uh, advisor was already talking about funeral arrangements. Um, and then Rasputin writes, you know, be calm, do not worry, he will be well. And magically, he is. So we see that how he 
got himself into the family, but also there's a very, um, I feel it's a very important scene, even though there's basically no lines. It's Rasputin heading to St. Petersburg, comes across some village girls, and there's a very suggestive scene. Um, and it really shows his, his character. Yeah, yeah, it's actually quite a funny scene. They kind of almost play it for laughs. I think they did, but it's 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 a funny scene and and it shows us at the same time like this is who he is. Because up to that point, we kind of see him as a as a creepy character in the sense that, you know, he's around small children a lot and it's just it's just not right, but in this scene, we we are actually told, yeah, this is how he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, just to kind of flesh out what happens in that scene for those who haven't seen the film. Essentially, he's traveling and he comes across some some girls and he essentially, yeah, seduces them. And we don't see all of that happen, but it's it implies that, you know, he does stuff that perhaps if you're trying to be a holy man isn't really um probably not part of the job description yeah not super consistent with that yeah absolutely yes so um what next we get to the war Mm -hmm. and the war begins and they're sending off the soldiers and that's i believe where the intermission is yeah absolutely yeah so after the second part this is where the war it uh is ongoing and this Mm -hmm. is kind of this movie i felt was structured very much like gone with the wind like the first half was pre-war and war times and the second half is just like what happens after the war Mm -hmm. um so this although this didn't happen after the war but but it has a very clear um prosperous like first half for the romanov family and the second half is all downhill because in the second half, um, we see, uh, I might be skipping ahead a little bit, but uh, we see Nicholas abdicate and he abdicates in, on behalf of his son as well, uh, because we all know that the Tsarevich is sick, but nobody else does. So when Nicholas is asked, why are you doing this? He says, I have my reasons. It was a very, I think it was a very powerful scene when he comes in and he just drops to his knees uh, in front of alexandra saying i'm sorry you know because i i believe it's because he abdicated yeah that's how i read that one as well yeah 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 to go to go back a little bit they don't spend much time on the war but they do make it clear that things are going really badly and that's kind of how we get to the point that nicholas has to abdicate yeah they didn't really they could i don't think they could cover the war that much because this was um this was all about I mean, the book originally itself, it, it covered the relationship between Alexandra and Nicholas, their family, and you can't avoid the political bits. So they didn't cover the war. But yeah, he abdicated and the family was placed under, uh, you could call it house arrest, I guess. Um, and the scene with the abdication, there's a part where he he signs it and he says, I suppose you'll be sending us to Levadia, which is in the Crimea warm sunshine sea uh there's a palace there and he said i've always wanted to be a a country gentleman and you really see that he was just naive because he didn't you know they tell him oh we'll be sending you to siberia instead yeah so the family is bundled off to siberia along with um the sailor nanny uh the doctor the tutor for the princesses and i think in reality, there was also like a cook or something, um, but that's the that's the cast we see in the movie. 
the sort of immediate entourage, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we see them being moved from house to house and they end up in the, in the Apatiev house. Oh, as they're being moved from Siberia to Moscow, the Ural committee takes the family from the Moscow government because there was, there was a lot going on politically. So everyone was trying to seize power. Um, the temporary government, which was actually in favor of getting the family out of the country was just overtaken by the Bolsheviks. And the Bolsheviks didn't like the royal family, and they took them and put them in the Patiev house, which is located in Yekaterinburg. And it's still there, I think. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and uh, I think that that's the last bit of the movie, but they really, they really made it seem like the family was there for a week, but I think they were there for much longer. I think they were there for like several months or even a year. Mm. Yeah, certainly a while. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I guess the last third to a quarter of the movie is kind of them changing hands from one set of captors to another till we get to the point as as you say they're in the apartheid of house they're held by the yeah the ural ural communist like group i guess mm-hmm. and yeah and the end we see we see what we historically see that the family was taken into a they were told that they were being moved yet again so they all went down to the basement where it, I thought it was a very, very, very well done last three minutes of the movie. It really gets you emotionally. Um, and yeah, we see, we see the execution and that's where the movie ends. I hope I did an all right job. That was a great summary. There was a huge <laughs> amount of stuff to, to, to cram in. So what we've kind of touched on some of this already in passing just as you've described uh, the major events but um uh, what did you like about the movie in particular if um, if anything i'm being presumptuous here well having seen that it won an oscar for costume design i obviously watched that uh for the first half was absolutely marvelous I loved that several of the costumes you could see were based on actual historical portraits, like in the uh, in the very beginning when Alexandra and Nicholas go to the ball. Nicholas's mother, Maria Fyodorovna, is wearing a dress that's based on the actual portrait of Maria Fyodorovna. At first, I didn't recognize it, and I was like, "This looks familiar," and it's it's the actual uh, dress from the portrait. Um, which you actually also see later on when the family is in church. Um, the mother, Alexandra is wearing a white suit and the girls are also wearing white hats and white dress suits. I think I, I may be wrong, but it really, really looks like, uh, one of the photographs of the royal family, possibly from the Crimea. Um, because generally I think white was like a summer kind of thing for people back then. Oh, sure. Yeah. About kind of keeping cool and all that sort of... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Plus the royal family, they don't exactly dig potatoes in the summer. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> despite, uh, you know, uh, uh, Nicholas's pretensions of wanting to be a gardener and, and all that. Yes. Okay, so kind of they did their homework then as far as the as far as the costumes. Yeah, I, I was I was pretty happy with, with the costumes. And uh, as I mentioned, I really loved how the last three minutes were done mm. because it was just, it was a very emotionally moving moment. Like I love movies that use silence instead of adding yeah. dramatic music or some kind of like 
TikTok sound. Uh, what they did when the family was taken into the basement, it was beautiful because you see the upbringing still working in them because there's two chairs. Nicholas and Alexandra sit down. Nicholas is holding uh, Alexis because he's sick. And the girls, they line up behind the chairs. Like, they're not just standing around like I would say modern people would. Two people yeah, would sit yeah. down and then everyone would just like kind of stand around. They, they, they stood like they would in, in some kind of official gathering or something. And the doctor was there with them. Or, and I loved. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. like a, or like a very formal picture. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you had to do back then for like reasons of, you know, exposure on taking a photo. I mean, I don't know quite how true that was by that point, but anyway, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, and yeah, like you said, they they didn't use very much sound, although they did use the uh, the ticking of the clock that was in the room. So it's um, it's kind of like you could say it's a, a quite an obvious technique, but they're using something that's like naturally in the scene rather yeah. than adding something over the top. But it really mm -hmm. does crank up the tension, even though you know that's you know what's going to happen, but it it kind of makes you feel like the uncertainty that the characters would feel. So yeah, I, I, I agree. They really handled that, that very well. I thought particularly, I mean, I've mentioned in the intro, the uh, Alan Rickman TV movie from the nineties, which did some of the same things, but really the execution is, is in that one is, is not handled very well at all. It's kind of, um, as you'd expect, horrible, which, execution should be but it's kind of like it's in slow motion so it makes it kind of look like they're trying to do a john woo action film or something <laughs> which is like that's that's not really very yeah. appropriate <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely okay uh i'm glad we're on the same the same page about uh, about that one then um yeah what else do you kind of have in like the the sort of the positive column for the movie um well i liked how they showed the relationship within the family although you never see nicholas interacting with the girls the way he does with um his son which he also doesn't really interact with that much but you see you see that there's a connection between them yeah. um the girls are really a little bit more of background characters in this movie um because the focus really is nicholas and alexandra and i liked I like that they showed that there was actual true love between them because this was like all royal marriages arranged. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. they just happened to fall in love and they loved each other a lot. And I, the scene that I liked the most in, in this, in this regard was that when they were blessing the troops and then they find out that Alexei is bleeding um they kind of tell each other like okay let's just let's just finish this and you see them walking into the palace where everyone can see them where their soldiers can see them uh they're very collected they're very calm but the second the doors close behind them like that whole royal thing just drops and they're just yeah. two concerned parents and they just like start sprinting up those stairs which i thought i thought that was a wonderful scene that that was amazing. I'm really glad you brought that up. As, yeah, I noticed that. That was that was really good, like non um, non verbal storytelling. Um, uh, what did you think in terms of the like the the acting performances? Um, to kind of take it off in a sort of slightly different direction. What you know, who did you enjoy 
um, seeing. Well, honestly, the character I think I liked the most was Kerensky. The way that mm. he was played, the, the delivery, everything was, was very, he, maybe it was partially the character, but he was, um, he wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a good guy. Uh, there was a kind of, you, you, you could see that there was a desire to improve things and not just get rid of the royal family, which is, I think in the end what the Bolsheviks wanted. I really yeah. liked the way that I forget who played it, uh, who it was. I do yes, hope that's no, I... <laughs> not some famous name. <laughs> that, no, that's 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 fine. I I looked him up, but I yeah I, I can't remember exactly. So uh... yeah, I really I really liked Kerensky. Um... Yeah, I I thought he was good as well. I mean, they kind of, as you say, he's he's not portrayed particularly as a good or a bad guy. He, you can kind of see that he wants to do the best for the Russian people, but you also see that there's kind of some ego there. And the kind of like, you know, you always see after he becomes the the head of the provisional government, you kind of see that you see how like the weight of the world has fallen onto him. And you kind of see like some of the now I kind of understand mm-hmm. how Alexander, how Alexander was. Uh, um, oh, sorry. Um, Nicholas. How, how Nicholas. Yes. Yes. I. Uh, the whole day I've been uh, I've been calling it uh, Nicholas and Alexander instead of <laughs> Nicholas and Alexandra, but I think that would be a very different, very controversial movie. So uh, especially uh, for nineteen anyway. seventy. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, no, he was yeah quite right, really good. Um, I I wanted to bring up Laurence Olivier because you know acting legend that he is. I don't know that I've really seen that many movies with him in so it was interesting to see to see him in action and kind of seeing kind of what the hype was about he's not in it for very much because he plays Count Vita who's sort of I guess you'd say Nicholas's prime minister um, who's kind of dismissed because he's too kind of wanting to take Russia down a, a liberal line and Alexandra doesn't like him and I think Rasputin doesn't like him and therefore you know he's got rid of but just before the end of the first half when war is is declared um you have this scene where Nicholas and all the other kind of council members are quite they're in quite a buoyant mood they're kind of like Russia's gonna you know we're gonna restore Mm -hmm. our honor we're gonna we're gonna prove to everyone what we can do and as they're kind of celebrating over there you can kind of hear them but the camera is just watching watching Vita sort of respond to this news and he's he's initially not saying anything but you just see like him him just showing in his face this is not going to go well i mean then they spell it out because he gives this sort of this speech about how this is going to be dreadful for what uh for what happens to russia and of course then in the second half we see uh, we see that coming true, but you know he's he's really really good in in how he's um, in every scene he's in. I'm mm-hmm. yeah, so I can kind of see why see why he gets uh, sort of the plaudits as as being this like great actor of the 20th century. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't really uh, I can't really say anything to that because uh, to me that character was very I I don't want to say forgettable, but just something about him like didn't didn't really register in my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can see where you're coming from in the sense that there are quite a few guys in the council who do look rather similar. So it's 
yeah, it it can, it can be difficult to keep uh, to keep them all, them all straight. Um, one person I did want to bring up is is what did you think of? Uh, we've talked about him in the summary, but what did you think of uh, of Tom Baker who who plays Rasputin? Um, well, something in me wants to say terrible. Oh, okay. Something in me wants to say wonderful. I'm very much on the on the fence about uh, first of all the character, second the the performance. I'd say. Okay. Um, on the one hand, it seems. I I understand what he was going for, uh, what he wanted to portray, but on in some scenes it was well done, in other scenes it was just overdone. Okay. Like the scene where he's uh, quote unquote interviewing this girl for who wants to sing in the opera, I felt it was a little overdone, just the way the way he did it. I I, I don't know. I could I'm not you know an expert in acting, but that was that was my opinion because also of course. Uh, I have my own image in my mind of how I thought Rasputin would be. Mm. So that might have like clashed with with my personal expectation of the character. Sure. Yeah. No. I totally. I totally get that. Yeah. Because he's such an infamous character that yeah, you you kind of have an idea of like you say how he was going in. I I thought he was really great. I mean, I don't know how whether you're familiar with the um, with the actor, but in in the UK he's super famous as he was one of the most iconic doctor who's um in fact if if somebody does like a doctor who parody even now they tend to do it as being like that that one because i think he was like the fourth or fifth he was he was quite early in the show run and he was he was kind of quite wacky and out there so i was really surprised the I just turned I... all Doctor Who fans against me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of them. So uh, yes, you yeah. can't win them all. You can't win all parts. I mean, every actor has his good parts. Everyone has their terrible movies. Yeah, I I really liked what he did, but part of it was was the fact that I knew him from before. But I I kind of think if I hadn't known in advance that it was Tom Baker, I. I'm not sure whether I would have figured out who it was. I would have I would have gone, hmm, this guy looks familiar from somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I was impressed considering how iconic he is for playing someone else, how much he sort of yeah, how much he disappeared into the role and I didn't think I didn't spend all the time going, Oh, that's Tom Baker, isn't Yeah. Um so I, I really liked what he was doing. I also thought he they did a fantastic job of making him look really quite like the the photos that i've seen of of, of yeah. rasputin they did a great job in in terms of that because again i keep bringing up the uh the alan rickman movie which i might eventually cover on this podcast but i, I feel like I'm covering since you've it mentioned anyway. it so much <laughs> yeah 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 um the problem with that is just he's too he's too handsome in that whereas here like it's it's one of the mysteries about the guy is the fact that you know, apparently he was incredibly prolific in terms of persuading women into bed with him. But, you know, one of the mysteries is it's not like he was this gorgeous, attractive, hunky. He really wasn't. <laughs> no, he was he was quite he was quite tall and like and well built. But yeah, he was a weird looking guy. So it had to be something about his I don't know, like his personal magnetism. And I I thought I thought he conveyed that sort of charming and sort of mysteriousness quite well. But uh, but yeah, we can agree to just disagree on that one. Uh, someone else I really liked, I really liked uh, Ian Holm, 
he's in it for about two minutes, but um, I thought he was it was it was good to see him in this as well. Who was he? Um, he was the the head of the of the Moscow committee who essentially takes the the Romanovs off the hands of the mm-hmm. uh, provis- provisional was, government. Yeah, he was the guy on the train when Nicholas was asking how much further to Moscow. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yes, I liked him. Yes. Because one of the things I was concerned about going in is that it would just, because of when it was made, that it would just paint all of the Bolsheviks as being completely just evil monsters. Whereas you got the impression with this guy that he was pretty ruthless. But on the other hand, you felt like he was doing it because he genuinely thought the way that the... um, that the Romanovs had been ruling the country was bad for it and he wanted to improve the country and he felt like being communist was was the way to do that. Like, he was sincere rather than someone who just wanted power for its own sake, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I I, I felt in, in general, like, the film was was quite fair to both sides. It wasn't like, okay... Yeah, it didn't really paint, like, an evil uh, villain and, like, this holy royal family like it just it just seemed to show that the facts like this is how this was this is how that was yeah absolutely and 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 like and like you say it didn't it didn't portray nicholas to be this you know good guy who just you know was swept away by these evil revolutionaries it was much it was much more like yeah he was not a very good he was not very good at his job um (laughs) basically (laughs) No, like I said, he was he was maybe maybe a fantastic husband, a fantastic father, but he wasn't a very good leader uh, in the fact that he was just too soft. And I guess even the reality was was like that. Yeah, but it's it's a weird one because you see that and and certainly it's talked about how repression was was still used despite the fact that he's not willing to to be as hard about it as as his father apparently was. But still, you know, it's it's not that there isn't a secret police and he's just kind of letting law and order totally go to go to rack and ruin. It's just it's it's almost you you kind of see it was almost an impossible situation to do the right thing. It's just that of all the bad options, he tends to pick the worst one. Um, <laughs> well. And and he's kind of and he's kind of not consistent. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I I almost wanted to call this the the second half of the film. Everyone hates Nikki um, <laughs> because you just get scene after scene of people telling Nicholas how much he sucked. Whether that's oh, pretty much. Whether that's his son or whether it's Ian Holmes' character. I think his name's Yakolev. Um, or you know, it's kind of fair enough based on the on the uh, historical um, historical record. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. If if I could, uh, there the things there was this thing just from when we were discussing Rasputin, um, the scene where he gets killed was mm. a little bit awkward for me. It just seemed um, very. Well, I understand that they only have a limited amount of time. Sure. Uh, they already stretched it to three hours, but I felt like that was very rushed through, and it was it it was actually a very important uh, part of the story, I think, mm. because uh, 
you could say emotionally the queen, the, the queen, <laughs> the Tsaritsa was, was, um, kind of dependent on him. Oh, yeah. So it, it was, it was a little strange, I felt. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised how they went with that as well, just because you have these guys just sort of like laughing the whole time and being quite. Yeah. Although apparently the um, the detail about um, about about Yankee Doodle playing on the gramophone apparently that happened because at least it's in the accounts of. Was uh, it? Yeah, apparently it's in the accounts of one of the um, I don't know whether it's Yusupov or one of the other people who was there, but they remembered that detail and like why wow. would you? Why would you lie about that? <laughs> that's that's that that actually kind of made me stop and think. And they turned it on. I was like, Yankee Doodle, did the composer just like I don't know, go out of his mind? Yeah, <laughs> just on that one part. Yeah, it's it's super surreal. But but apparently that's that's something that uh, that that one of the guys who was there remembered and and kind of put down, which is. Which is, uh, yeah, as I say, super super weird, but fascinating. Um, yeah, but actually, yeah. the whole story. I read, I read a book about it. Um, not just not just his murder, but um, about Rasputin, and um, I think it was based on interviews with his granddaughter mm. or great granddaughter, something like that. They had somebody that was related to him, uh, giving some kind of information. And um, in that book, he wasn't really written as this kind of like evil drunkard um, that he was in the in in the movie. And the whole murder scene was really was interesting. And they did get the facts right in the movie that he was first poisoned. That didn't take. He was shot. That didn't take. Um, and I think they threw him into the river yeah but we don't see that in the film we just yeah we don't see it we don't see it they they just beat him up and what happened afterwards in reality was that they found uh rasputin's body he was poisoned he was shot he was thrown in the river where you would think in the middle of winter he would have just frozen but in the end what killed him was drowning yeah i've heard that version but i'm kind of a little bit skeptical because he was also like shot in the middle of the forehead which again they don't they don't show so i'm kind of like no i think that probably killed him but but yeah <laughs> but it's it's a good story um yeah so in terms of like rushing that that was not an aspect that you liked so much um and generally um you weren't as keen on the rasputin performances uh, as i was um is there anything else that you didn't like so much about how they did things mm, well let's see the beginning was fantastic. Uh, lots of thinking involved. I'm trying to rewind the entire movie in my mind. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. aside from rushing through uh, the Rasputin murder scene, um, I realized maybe it was a very uneventful time, but they did rush through uh, the stay at the Apatyev house. They could have shown like the change of the seasons or something so that the viewers could have understood that uh, time had passed. Otherwise, I think it was it was... It was told pretty well. They covered the main events. Um, one thing is that they started the movie uh, at the birth of Alexis, Alexei, Alexis, whatever you want to call him. Um, yeah. But I think there was one very big event in the rule of Nicholas and Alexandra that I felt it, it kind of just stayed in my mind since I read the book. 
it could have been this book, it could have been another book I read on them. Um, but at the very beginning of their reign, when they were just celebrating, like he, he had just become uh, the Tsar, and um, there was supposed to be a huge, not really a party, but like uh, festivities for the people. And during those festivities, uh, they were set up in this big field, and a lot of people came, and there was supposed to be free stuff handed out. And a rumor began that there wasn't enough for everybody. And in the end, it was just uh, a total stampede. A lot of people died. And uh, the there's a kind of, not really superstition, but uh, like people felt it was a bad omen to the entire yeah, yeah. reign. So I kind of felt like that, that may have been, uh, that could have been mentioned um, to kind of, like a foreshadowing kind of thing, but it's it's really it was it was very early in the rain, so it would have been hard to cover that event and then like fast forward to that. Yeah, yeah, I I totally see, I totally see where you're coming from, kind of on both on both sides in the sense that there's definitely this theme of of like all this bad stuff happens, mm-hmm. like like they meant well, but look what happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I must I have to say. Of the two halves of the film, I liked the second half much, much better. I felt like that I really didn't start enjoying it. Well, maybe enjoying it is the wrong word. <laughs> it's, 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 um, I, that's uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um. Yes. It, yeah. I started enjoying it as soon as the tragedy happened. No. Um. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. In terms of appreciating the filmmaking more. I did. I I liked the very opening scene uh, where you kind of see the birth, and it's it's almost wordless. I thought that was well done, but for a while it just felt like okay, some guys are in rooms talking, and this is kind of boring. And sometimes the dialogue wasn't very good; it was a bit blunt, especially when they are introducing the communists. It's kind of like, well, oh, someone yeah. comes up, to, somebody comes up to Lenin and goes. So Lennon, what do you think about this? And uh-huh. um, and then it and then he says something like at the end of that scene, you know, this will be the the forming of the Bolshevik party, and it's kind of like okay, I understand from an audience point of view, they may not be super familiar with the history, so sometimes you have to spell it out. But mm-hmm. the um, <sighs> the character of clumsy. Lennon I found to be like in the very first scene where we're introduced to him, um, the second they showed him, I was like, come on because um they show him and like sitting down and he has his his thumbs tucked into his vest Mm. which is a very it's like it's the equivalent of napoleon having his hand in his jacket (laughs) oh yeah yeah um so it's it's like if they showed napoleon in his hat in his suit and with a hand um you know it kind of it kind of they they might as well have just put an arrow of some kind saying this is Lenin, you know, just for people who didn't understand, who didn't get the the bald man with the mustache who kind of looks like him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He does look a bit, I mean, I, I haven't seen photos of him for that time, but he looks a bit too old for, you know, considering he was only like in his early 50s when he died, but whatever, that's kind of... Well, he did die like in the 20s, I think, 30s? When yeah. When did he die? Um, it was, I want to say, like, either late 1923 or, or early 1924, something like that. So he, he'd he be in his, 
I I can't do the maths on the spot, but like in his thirties still at the time when he was introduced, and he's kind of an old guy. But that's that's just well, he did query. spend time in Siberia. That kind of ages you. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just basing him on all the statues I've seen and and the portraits and everything around. Kind of looks like him. But, you know. Sure. That's about yeah, it. yeah. 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 Um. Actually, speaking of Lenin, one of the funniest scenes, and I think it was intentionally funny, is when um he's trying to get through Germany and he's being interviewed by this important German official who's saying, who's essentially saying like, why would I help you? Uh, We've (laughs) arrested more communists than anyone. Um, And, and I think like the actor, I think he's called Kurt Jurgens or something like that. Um, He's also like in a James Bond film, but um, yeah, he's, he's really funny in that just because he's kind of like, seriously, seriously i mean obviously they do end up helping him but it's it's just like in a film where there's so much grim stuff i thought that was one a bright spot (laughs) yeah where they tried to bring some comic relief in and it actually worked i think that was i mean in general i've i've been very positive about the film so far but (sighs) some of it was really good but other bits were really clumsy and badly done like again trying to lighten the mood um, i mean you mentioned earlier that the um romanov daughters aren't done very well i thought they were awful i mean not the not the acting so much just the they were they were poorly written and again there's so many characters it's hard to do everyone justice but they were kind of used as um as comic relief as far as i i was concerned like um it seemed like the uh, the writers thought that um that them calling each other trollop was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, that was that was not very princess behavior. Yeah, and and then there's the whole weird bit at the end where I forget which one of the sisters, but uh, she essentially you don't see it, but it's very obvious what's happened. She shows her boobs to one of the uh, one of the people who's got. That was very strange. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad it wasn't just me. It's just like. It was... And I don't. I don't understand her breakdown afterwards, where she says that if people think uh, she's beautiful. Like those were kind of strange moments. One that it was. I'm very torn about the scene after the abdication because, on the one hand, uh, you can sort of understand the the pain that he's in how he feels that he's just just destroyed 300 years of rule and everything but just the acting in that very moment of please forgive me i think he's saying or something like that or uh after the abdication when he breaks down um it was it was very i don't know something something just didn't sit right with me with that uh it felt like it was overdone and um, when Alexandra falls to her knees and she's kind of dramatically reaching out to him, I was like, you're his wife, you know, walk up to him. You know, you may touch him, <laughs> like put a hand of comfort on him of some kind. It was, I don't know. I kind of see where they were going with it, that it's such an emotionally powerful moment for the two of them that he falls down and she can't move and she just falls down. Yeah, no, it's I can I can definitely see where you where you're coming from. I mean, I found I found the two of them like it was it was very I think it was kind of partly the the acting style at the time. It was quite stagey and everyone talks in this very clipped precise way and we're all restrained, which I kind of understand that you're playing these very buttoned up royal characters and maybe they would have 
spoken like that, but it it did grate on me quite a bit. I actually didn't mind the bit of him falling down on his knees because up until then he'd kind of been the actor had almost played all of the scenes the same way of just doing this very I mean he's obviously he's not British but what we would call stereotypical uh, stiff upper lip British Mm -hmm. you know very pulled together it's kind of like even when bad things are happening it's like oh dear that's not very good but he's not (laughs) you you know there's oh dear my leg is broken (laughs) Well, that's a pain. Um, but yeah, you, you just, yeah, you don't see very much um, kind of emotion on his face up until then. Um, well, the first time... I'm being a bit harsh, but... The first time around, I kind of I kind of felt awkward with that scene. The second time I watched it, because I, wa- I, I watched the movie twice, um, because generally I, I really liked it. Um, it's a story I like. It's a time period I like. Um the second time around, it was it was more acceptable. Maybe it just grows on you. Mm-hmm. I I think at this point uh, we should uh, we should pause to uh, uh, to kind of uh, give you a round of applause for your dedication watching the film t- <laughs> twice. <laughs> uh, I had six hours to spare. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, because um, I, as I say, I liked some bits about the movie. But I really do not feel an urge to uh, urge to watch it again. I mean, I, I I kind of felt a little bit like it was it was homework, but it did improve towards the end. Like I felt the ratio of good, well done scenes improved as they mm-hmm. as as they went on. I think a lot of it was that early on it felt like they were spelling things out a lot. You know, there's the whole show don't tell idea and they were doing a lot of telling and not so much showing whereas later on they they got better like one really short scene that i liked was you have because they don't we've talked about how they don't show very much of the war but they do show a brief very brief scene in the trenches where there's these two you know private soldiers in the ranks and they're kind of in rags and they're eating a raw mm-hmm. rabbit. It's really quite shocking. So oh, that was just... that was terrible. The scene begins and they just skin this rabbit. You don't even it's have like, time ugh. to look away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's really gross. And then they're eating this rabbit raw. And then an officer comes along and says, "You've got to get forward." And they and you know what are you doing here? And they and they basically shoot him <laughs> and continue eating. Yeah, and it's 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 brutal, but it 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 does convey this is how bad the war is going. It's like normally they would have jumped to attention, but they've been reduced to eating a rabbit raw and just like, just shooting their officer in, in cold blood because they're at a point where they no longer respect the normal hierarchy. And, you know, and because society was so hierarchical at that point, it really shows something that, mm-hmm. that that's the level that they're at. Well, I guess at this point, the filmmakers were just like, hey, wasn't there a war going on at this time? How was that <laughs> going? Let's just let's just put in a scene how that shows. Okay, good. <laughs> it's going terribly. Yeah, but it's, it's fine. It's kind of like there's so much to cram in that being able to cover that, to convey that much in, in such a short space mm-hmm. of time is, is, is very, very efficient. difficult. Yeah. Um, there's there's a scene where they mention uh, that the opposition, the white army, was starting to gain ground, that they already got uh, some city, I think it was like Omsk or Tomsk or something. Um, 
it reminded me there's there was this fantastic movie that like um it it they just briefly mentioned in this one that the white army was moving uh it, there's a great movie from from a couple of years ago a russian made called admiral it's about a guy who was actually leading that same white army so it's kind of like a parallel story um there's a lot of you know romantic nonsense in there there is a romantic plot but there's the main plot which was just fascinating and it's just i don't know if you've if you've seen that movie or if you've heard of it but yeah i suggest you watch it because it's it really adds to this one okay it fills okay, it out yes. a little yeah so sort of if you're if you're into this time period that's one to watch yeah i think i had heard about it was is the at the titular admiral is that kolchak Yes. Yeah, yeah. I I think I had heard of it. Yeah, as you say, like quite recent. I don't think I'd talked to anyone who'd actually seen that one. So I will I will add that to the the already quite long list of things I need to I, I need to cover. Oh, it's a fascinating movie. I've seen it. I must have seen it like three four times already. Okay. Cool. Well, th- yeah. That's uh. That's that's always always good to get further uh, recommendations. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, so going going back to the uh, to the to the war and how they show that again, they can't spend that much time on it, and it's perhaps a little bit of a cliche if you've seen other films in which Russia is involved in a war. But you see this unit of soldiers, and they are being uh, commanded by one of the uh, one of Nicholas's top generals. Mm-hmm. But you just go along the line of these guys, and some of them are these really young kids like just into their teens whereas some of the other ones they're guys in their late 50s or or 60s and the weapons they're carrying are essentially like sticks with like bits of farm implement roped on at the end and it's 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 again it's a short scene but it just shows okay things are not going well for the russian army if this is the level that they are reduced to in terms of who they're sending into into battle and what they're equipping with them and it's again it's it's a short scene but it it explains quite well why everyone is so mad with uh, uh with Nicholas and, yeah. and his government i think that i think that it also continues this one thing that happened in the very beginning when uh they were looking at how many people i think the german army has and how much the russian army has and one of the one of the characters he says something along the lines of well we have more people like something like that you know mm, they have yeah, the weapons yeah. we have the people so and you kind of and you kind of see that scene coming to that that all the young fit soldiers have already been killed and now they're just like oh, i don't want to say it like in 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 these particular words but i can't come up with others but they're scraping the bottom of the barrel already for for soldiers yeah 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 no, no I, that exact same phrase came to me and it's not you know it's not that these people aren't brave it's just they're going to be fi- uh, facing fitter they're going to be facing men in their prime of life actual soldiers <laughs> yeah uh, with the top of the line equipment and this is not going to end well, and the mm-hmm. fact that you're continuing to do it is is why is why your government is collapsing. So, I think they I think they did that well because one of my problems again with the early part of the film is you do see a you do see a bit of it, but it's there's not much of like showing why people aren't happy. You know, it's 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 almost like I think about half an hour or forty minutes into the film before you see 
a, a scene that's outside of the palace. You could argue that this is just a, a very clever directorial choice uh, that's portraying how how cut off from reality Nicholas is. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like maybe that's giving the the director too much too much credit. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Sometimes I'm we do see too much into into the meaning and the and we think maybe they did this on purpose and they're like, oh, well, the actor just tripped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, there's there's enough stuff in here that's done a bit clumsily that that reading like brilliant choices in is I you know I just I guess I'm just not feeling that that generous. I mean, I I don't know in terms of the other film. The, the this director has done i know he did planet of the apes and he also did Patton, which are both like very highly regarded films that i haven't seen so uh so you know he's obviously he's a he's a good director but and some of the things are done really well but other things just felt felt a bit rushed or a bit like uh you could really have done with a better writer uh, on on some of these um well i think it was just a lot of subject matter to cover and it was a it really is a very uh full and rich story because there there's the there's first of all the angle of the war um mm. there's the relationship between the actual nicholas and alexandra there's the relationship of the family there's what's happening in the city there's the politics of it um there's the pre-war times which were wonderful and lavish there's the 300 anniversary uh the 300 year anniversary of the romanov rule which was also a big event which is very much just mentioned in passing um the the arrest of the family the bolsheviks the 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 temporary government the the white army, everything like there's so much happening that I really can't say that uh, it was really necessarily the director's fault that uh, there's things that are rushed, things that are skipped because there's just so much. I mean, even in the book, uh, the book really does concentrate more on the family relationship. Mm-hmm. I think I I, yeah. I believe I read it. I remember the cover of it. <laughs> I must have read it if I've seen the cover. <laughs> yeah so. i mean i think i can i can definitely see see where you're coming from um i've complained about the film being being really long but i can see what you're uh, yeah there's so much to cram in it almost feels like if you were do, doing this as a mini series rather than you know where the episodes are an hour long then it, it would solve some of the the pacing problems or just go for something grand like lord of the rings just go for yeah. a full 12 hours of movie, you know, <laughs> because who wouldn't want to watch a 12 hour movie about a, a, a Russian royal house, a royal family? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see that. I can see that being quite a hard sell, but I can see like doing a series where it's like four or five one hour episodes rather than what like a mammoth three hour film. You know, if you're just watching those one at a time. It might, yeah, and it they might could cover better, more but... things and and yeah. go more into detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then that's that's all kind of uh, hypothetical. Um, all right. So one thing I really wanted to ask you is obviously this is a Western take on on Russian history, but um, is this something that you would? because you you like the film more than I did but would you show it to russian friends or peers or colleagues uh would would you think that they would enjoy it would it chime with the the sort of the version of history 
that that would be familiar to them do you think sorry that's a that's like a million questions in one (laughs) well um one thing before before i start answering that one thing that uh from a russian side from a russian point of view one thing that drove me absolutely nuts throughout the entire movie uh was the mispronunciation of the words batushka and matushka like oh, they kept yeah. <laughs> on saying matushka and batushka and it's just i every time i heard it i was like ah oh, you want me to believe this person is russian ah just it was frustrating i mean i realized that to to an english speaker it would sound like oh you know it's just sounds russian must be russian mm. but yeah, to yeah. a russian speaker I imagine that it would be like hitting us on the head with with a brick each time. I mean, <laughs> I can accept, I can accept, um, I could accept batushka, batushka maybe. Mm. I could even accept batushka, but matushka was just, just it was just a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, um, it's, it's like yeah. we always like uh, with the Kate Bush song. Um, uh, babushka instead yeah, of barbushka. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's now that I know that that's wrong, it will annoy me <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> no, you know, myself, I, I do say, like, when I'm speaking to English speakers that aren't very familiar with Russian pronunciation and the way that the Russian, what was it, where we place the accent in the word, I, I really, I start saying myself, babushka, like, I... You know, because there's no point in saying it correctly and then explaining it to the person why it's correct. You know, just just go yeah. with the flow. Um, but to answer your question, which was to would I show it to other people? Um, well, if they had an interest in history, like if this person had an his- interest in history, they happened to be Russian, um, they knew the actual story of the Romanovs. I definitely recommend this movie because um, it's more or less historically accurate. It's not like uh, this one movie that that just destroyed movies of this genre for me was um, Man in the Iron Mask with Leonardo DiCaprio. I would suggest mm. nobody ever watches that, no matter how much I love DiCaprio, uh, because that that having read the book and being a huge fan of Alexander Dumas was just a a nightmare. So I was very happy that they didn't do this here. They actually followed uh, the story more or less. So. I don't think there's anything that kind of would make somebody from this side of the political divide, I suppose, um, from this side of, of the story. I don't think there's anything in here that would make anyone kind of say, what? What is this? You know, uh, there's nothing extremely stereotypical Russian, I'd say, that we might find offensive. Like, you know, you don't have like some kind of Kalashnikov wielding, bear riding, <laughs> vodka drinking Nicholas. You know, you just have a normal civilized Tsar. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it would be a good movie for, for someone, for a Russian to watch. Yeah, they wouldn't be rolling their eyes all the way through. Oh, well, Batushka, Matushka. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, um, yes, and, and that does come up quite a lot. Ah, I think I'm starting to gain an insight into why you didn't like Tom Baker so much. Um... <laughs> I think that might have been it. <laughs> because he was the one saying it. Yes, yes. I guess I guess he just destroyed that he just, you know, he he kind of um destroyed the illusion for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely noticed that, but uh, but yeah, I I guess I guess I I guess it bothered me a, a, bit, a bit less. But yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you that it's 
you know, not just uh, another example of um, Western people just like doing a disservice to to Russian history. I think it was very delicately done. Yeah, they didn't really offend any side. They didn't say that. Bolsheviks are monsters, or like the royal family was monsters, or nobody's a monster. Everyone just was doing their thing. Yeah. On on the other hand, they do they do show that Lenin was was pretty ruthless. Like they talk about you know how he's willing to just um, the the methods that he was willing to use, and that stuff that's all based on stuff that he he wrote down. So it's not like they're mm-hmm. putting words into his mouth that he didn't say so yeah i mean you can't really be kind and and just topple a monarchy so yeah 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 but but yeah i liked like you said that that there was that it it was more nuanced but yeah i think in terms of how i feel about showing it to other people is is i would i would say there's good stuff in it but it's a it's a big time investment and i'm not well you have to be interested in the subject and yeah you have to kind of feel okay with older movies before you watch this movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, this is definitely, for me, not... It's not classic movie making. It has a lot to recommend itself. Like, like you said, visually, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, I don't, I don't know nearly as much about the costumes and whether they're accurate as... as and you'll, you know, you've talked a bit about that, but... I thought it, it it looked it looked great, but but yeah, it, there was definitely things which would make me cautious about you know just saying this is a fantastic movie and you should go out and see it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if I would watch it a third time. Maybe I would. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of felt like I have to. I watched it the first time and I was distracted because I was drawing at the same time, and I kind of felt mm. like I needed to watch it a second time. So I I actually remember the sequence of events because there was a lot of them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that's fair. I I almost feel like if I was gonna see it again, I would probably skip quite a lot in the first in the first part, as I say, and and then mm-hmm. just kind of move on move on to the uh, to the more interesting um, bits later on. But yeah, so it's it's kind of like it's one where individual parts for me were great, but the whole is a bit rickety, um, almost like the Romanov regime. Ha ha! Boom! Sorry, that's 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 awful. Um, I think I, sh- I should probably probably set, be sent to Siberia for uh, for that that level of of, of corny of, of corny joke. But but anyway. And you can come back as a holy man. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, but uh, possibly, uh, possibly, my wife won't be quite so keen if I. Uh, <laughs> start to uh, imitate um uh, rasputin in, in in other ways but whatever all right <laughs> oh my goodness right i think that's probably where we should uh, where we should wrap <laughs> things up um it's a long movie and a long discussion <laughs> it, it is it, yes yeah which i guess is appropriate well thank you very much Ina thank you for joining me um so before you go Ina is there anything you would like to uh, direct our listeners towards in terms of stuff that you've done online okay so as I mentioned I do a little bit of illustrating um and I've kept an Instagram and a blog for a while but mostly I'm on my Instagram right now it's at Nia's illustration and yeah you can check it out I have sometimes uh, costume design in there. Mostly, it's been portraits lately. So, 
Cool. Could you spell yeah. that, that handle out for us? N-I-Y-A-Z illustration. Cool. Thanks. I realize it's a very difficult, like, first five letters. I'm not sure why I stuck with my last name there. Well, you know, it's kind of, it's your name. So I think it's it's more than fair that you would use it in your handle because that's who you are. So, uh, so yes. Um, all right. Thanks very much for joining us. And do svidaniya. Do svidaniya. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media... Please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now.